We're here to ignite your fire by highlighting the success and innovation of other movement professionals. This is the PT on Fire podcast. All right, PT on Fire Nation, we are super excited to bring you guys the conversation today with Dr. Gary Gray. I'm Dr. Nick Hawkins. Alongside me is Dr. Andrew Grecki. And and uh, Gary's a, a great friend of ours and, and a mentor. And, uh, you know, being the father of function, you just you just look at somebody like Gary and, and just try to emulate. You just want to be like him. He's a good person. Uh, he's got a servant heart, um, probably more than anybody I've met in my life. And I can honestly say that. And uh, so, Gary, you know, we are we are super excited to have you on and we really appreciate you taking time out of your day to to come on and and just have a conversation with us uh nick and andrew i really appreciate that thoughtfulness and for me this is exciting you know just knowing uh, how much i admire you guys and all that you guys are doing uh in your facility uh for me this is a huge honor so i'm looking forward to it thanks yeah and uh you know gary is a guy that loves kids and loves to inspire kids with the with the free to play academy that that you've been involved in and just the commitment to try to get movement literacy out there and um i can you know i can say going through the the gift program we have the opportunity to work a kids camp and and i have a great memory and and just thought in my vision in my mind so i'm going to just explain the kids camp real quick um kids from the community come together and for a day and it's organized by Gary and the uh, colleague and his colleagues at the Gray Institute, and and we all get together for a day. Hundreds of kids set up stations, teach movement literacy, play games, have fun, make the kids smile. Uh, there's one station that all the kids look forward to, and it's when when Gary is is walking around hands and knees, getting eggs thrown at his head, and uh, it's hilarious. I, I you look over and you you just love seeing the joy and smile on these kids' faces, literally just chucking eggs at your bald head and you see the egg the shells cracking a little bit of blood running down your head but no worries that just it's another testament man you you do what you can to get the smiles on the kids faces make them feel important make them feel just give them a just a glimpse of what it's like to have some fun and then turn around and give us more joy at the same time I, I don't think you could outline it any better you know we do we do those things obviously because we like to be kids and you know, we like to clown around, and uh, but uh, just when you see the smile on their face and just bring, like you say, a little joy to their life that day and just let them know how much they're loved and how much they're honored and in that, you know, we're willing to kind of, you know, uh, just kind of be them for a little bit is is, uh, is kind of a powerful thing. But I thought you outlined, outlined that very well. That was great. So tell us a little bit more about free-to-play, Gary. I mean, I, uh, I heard about free-to-play, oh, gosh three, four years ago. And one of the things that really stood out to me was I was attending at the time, um, your chain reaction, uh, seminars in Chicago that you do once a year. And, and I was just blown away on your presentation on this program you've been working on for years and for movement literacy for kids and how, you know, uh, the, all the chain reaction, uh, money that's been earned has been really given back to this program that you've, you've launched and just, just hit on that a little bit. Tell us about free to play and the why behind it. Well, again, it's, uh, I think you said it beautifully. Again, it's something we've been working on for years, and we, we hope we continue to work on it. Um, it really is taking you know, the gifts that you guys have. You guys have incredible gifts of encouraging people and understanding the movement of people and understanding movement literacy. And uh, we want to give the same gifts to kids. 
And so we developed a uh, not-for-profit, what we call free-to-play, and developed a uh, fairly high-end website, which we're totally redesigning right now, where somebody can go to its F2P Academy and actually learn what we call applied functional science and learn what we call movement literacy and be successful in getting our bodies to move and, and maintaining and gaining some flexibility and strength and coordination. And, uh, but at the end of the day, we do that in order to encourage the kids to realize that uh, what a real athlete does is not only takes care of themselves, that's the perspiration part, but take care of others. Uh, in, in, in reality, the easiest way to say it is uh, it's my heart's desire that every kid becomes like Nick and Andrew. In other words, some, somewhere along your life, you guys decided to be servants. You decided you wanted to get involved in something where you, you help people and you um, dedicated a long part of your life to do that. And, um, and free to play is literally that, to, to prove to kids that every kid has the ability to be an athlete. Every kid has the ability to actually get healthy uh, with the right information. And every kid has the ability to give back, encourage someone, uplift someone, be a mentor to someone. And when we see it happen, it's just amazing. Uh, to be, I can't even, I can't even use the right, probably the right word, because you see lives transforms, and we see kids being what they were designed to be, and that's somebody to help somebody else out. And when they realize that life is really that easy, that we're here on Earth just to help other people out, and they get that feedback, then the power of free to play uh, comes to fruition. So, we're going through some various strategies on how this could be a reality for potentially every kid in America, but maybe potentially for, for every, every kid in the world. We think every child deserves the right to be honored and to be uplifted and to be uh, proven to them that they are uh, made that way for a reason. And Gary, you kind of hit the nail on the head there talking about the, the big vision goals, and I love you guys do that. You have these the big vision. You look at things from a big picture, and it's so, it truly is inspiring. And and the cool thing with the Gray Institute and the cool thing with Free to Play, you know, having gone through Gift myself, is just how you guys form the not, it's not like you're forcing people to learn. You're creating an environment so we can learn. And before we know it, we're, it's easier to learn. And I think, you know, that's kind of what you've done with the Gray Institute. And I, I'm sure it's been on purpose. And that's what you've done with the Free to Play. It's like watching these kids, you you form an environment where they become confident. They go from kind of being afraid to move because they've been told that they're inadequate in a, in a way. And then they go from being, being confident in movement and then having the environment to be so confident that they can then teach their classmates how to move. And so it's just this genius thing where it's, you're not forcing them to learn. You're just, you're simply providing an environment that they can just shine in, which is cool to see. It's, uh, it, it's really, I, I think, again, you picked out the real essential part there. What, what we try to uh, kind of our, our, what we would say our mission statement is to encourage transformation. And that can be in any regards to anything. And when you encourage something, you don't actually do it yourself. You, as you properly said, Nick, you create the environment. And transformation is neat because transformation of something can't happen without that thing. In other words, you can't turn something into something that it's not. So you said it, I think you said it beautifully. If you create the right environment, then it's easier to learn. If you create the right environment, as you guys do on a daily basis in your physical therapy practice, then people can be healed. Uh, and then obviously we would say if you create, create the right environment, then people can be encouraged and uplifted and, and be shown compassion. 
so we can't force you to learn. We can't force you to heal. We, in fact, we can't heal anybody. We can't make anybody learn. But if we use kind of our heart and spirit to direct us, we can create environments where kids will feel uplifted and encouraged and empowered. Uh, and patients will actually, their bodies will heal because of the environments that you guys create. And that we all, if we create the right environment, we all can continue to learn and uh, come up with better strategies to help each other. So, uh, again, I, I kind of like the idea of just listening to you, Nick, because it seems like you uh, you, you kind of get to the point and focus on it uh, quite well. And I, I appreciate that. Well, I can tell you, and that's that's not something that is really taught well in, in PT school. And there's there's a lot of things that are taught well in PT school. But one of the things is that is, is, is they don't hit on the fact that we need to provide that environment. It, you come out feeling that, that you're going to be the one that's responsible for their healing. And it's almost like this, this pressure that's on you and stress. You're thinking, man, how in the heck am I going to do this? But really, you know, what I learned through the 40 weeks of gift is you just need to take a step back and provide an environment for healing, whether that be the right encouragement or taking them through, uh, you know, what we'll talk about here in the future in the next few minutes, but take them through a, a, a solid assessment and just seeing what they need, what their body needs, what type of environment they need to, in order to be able to heal. And, uh, and I can tell you that it's like a weight lifted off your shoulders when, when you just come to that realization. So on my, mine and Andrew's on that's, you know, we definitely appreciate that thought process. Yeah, and I think we might have done it selfishly just to take the weight off our shoulders, too, <laughs> uh, because we just felt that, boy, we just want to do the best for our patients, and we want to do the best for these kids, and we finally realized that we're not all that in a box of crackers, you know, we're, we're just these people that they trust, and we really have to step back and give them an opportunity to show us, you know, what's going on in their movement, what's going on in their life, and and then basically say, you know, what environment would allow their body to heal better, what 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 do we need to encourage them to do or give them guidance and direction or even sometimes put our hands on them to help them? And then what happens then the body, because of the, the power they already have, the good Lord gives them in their body already, they can heal. And uh, so, like you said, I, I don't think you can say it better. It just takes the pressure off. And we kind of go, we do the best we can. But um, as you guys know, the best we can involves really a lot of studying. And we have to we have to really understand the body and we have to understand, you know, what environments to put them in and what things to use and, and how to get them to move and how, how do we use the power of encouragement and the behavioral drivers. So on one hand, it sounds simpler, takes the pressure up. On the other hand, it's very complex and it's, uh, it's a tough road that we're continuing to learn. And I think you guys are, are doing an incredible job doing that. I would say, too, that it's really obvious that you've continue to learn. And so we've talked about free to play a little bit. We've talked about kind of a little bit about the gift program. And, and if we go, let's go way back to the beginning for a second. You know, you've, you've gone through 35 plus years of basically expressing your understanding of the body and you're basically changing the way everything's been done. I mean, you're, you're taking the textbooks and you're flipping them upside down. If we go back to the beginning, you know, you, you, for those of you out there that are listening, that remember the course is called "When the Foot Hits the Ground." That was that was you. That was where it all started. What made you ask that question? When the foot hits the ground, everything changes. Well, uh, again, I think um, I, I've been asked that question in a number of different ways, and I think one 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 way I was asked the best is what? How did you get off? How did you get off the path? 
because uh, in, in especially in schools where you go there for three, four, five years and you get on a certain path that they take in and ends up on a state board examination. So we know we've all been on a similar path. Uh, it's obvious that somehow I fell off the path or got kicked off the path or, you know, just, you know, fell and tumbled. And and so people very, very frequently say, so how did you get off the path? And and without sounding dorky, part of it is because I wasn't smart enough to stay on the path. I wasn't I didn't have the academic abilities that a lot of the other kids did to memorize stuff, to understand stuff. And so, as you guys know, I'll use this example quite often. Is I, I used a Pooh Bear approach. I just kind of stepped, stepped back and said, you know, what would Pooh Bear think about this? And without overanalyzing, because, I, I, you know, I'm like Pooh Bear. I'm a, I'm a bear of very little brain and, and hopefully a big heart and a big belly, and I, and I love honey. So you go, Pooh Bear would look at a lot of the things that we did that we now would call relatively non-functional and go, that just doesn't make sense to me. I remember the first time, it's been over 40 years ago now that I saw a Cybex machine. And my Pooh Bear brain took over, and, and what came out of my mouth is that makes absolutely no sense to me. Uh, I know it costs $40,000, and it's an objective quantification of something, but at no time did I ever see me or Piglet or Tigger or Owl sit on a table and make our leg go back and forth really quick. And so I uh, kind of scratched my head and said, I'm not sure that's how the knee really works. I think it works when the foot hits the ground. And I think the foot talks to the knee and the knee talks to the hip and they talk to the other part of the body and they talk to the body. They talk to the trunk. They talk to the shoulders. And, and so it became obvious to me that I was missing probably 99% of what I should have known in order to create the proper environment. And that is an understanding of what we call total body human movement. In other words, how does the whole body as a, you know, just a knee doesn't walk through the clinic, just a hip doesn't walk through the clinic, just a low back doesn't walk through the clinic, a whole patient with mind, body, and spirit walks at the clinic, and I knew I had no ability at all to put it together. So my journey, literally for 40 years now, uh, has been to say, so how is this miraculously, wonderfully thing we call a human body put together, and what can I learn from that, and then what can I use to come up with strategies in order to develop the techniques in order to help them out? So we started Strangely enough, from the bottom up, and Dave Tiberio and I started a course uh, along with a guy by the name of Mike Whitmer called When the Foot Hits the Ground, Everything Changes, because we learned a lot of non-functional things to do with the foot and how to evaluate the foot up on a table and with TheraBand and wiggling around, but it didn't look at all to Pooh Bear like it did when it was smashed into the ground, and when it wiggled, it seemed to wiggle the knee, and then that wiggled the hip, so... (laughs) Basically, I think we just fell off the path and hit our head and kind of went from there. I appreciate you sharing that, Gary, and that explanation just makes it simply just makes sense. And uh, and I can tell you that you know at, at our clinic we we love having students, and I think you know part of that is from the fire that you guys have placed in our hearts for educating. You know that's just something that we've adapted and embraced, and so we get all these physical therapy students that that come into the clinic for their rotations, and a lot of them haven't experienced uh, AFS before. And so they come in and they're they're looking forward. They don't really know what to expect. Some of them do, some of them don't. But I can tell you within the first couple of days, the comment that all of them make is, wow, this just makes sense. You know, that they truly believe that. And one thing I'm wondering is, like, if everybody has this belief and the truth that this just makes sense, what are what are your thoughts as to why is this not at least a part, more of a part of mainstream curriculum in PT schools. 
Ah, uh, so you're going to let me dig a hole for myself. Yes, now, sir. Actually. Yes, yeah. sir. <laughs> well, you know, we all have opinions on that. And a lot of opinions, especially some of my opinions, are, are usually based on just hearsay and, and things that aren't solid. But being in the profession for 40 years, I think one of the things that I think is somewhat embarrassing is the fact that uh, what I learned 40 years ago is the same thing the kids are learning now. And it's hard for me to believe that we haven't learned something in 40 years. Uh, I'm not sure there's another profession like that. Just imagine being an orthopedic surgeon and going and taking the same curriculum that you took 40 years ago. Uh, you'd be laughed out of the place or a computer programmer. Didn't even have computers back then. So the, the rate of change of information, uh, they developed a system where that rate of change could be incorporated into the mainstream curriculum. Uh, and then obviously was in incorporated into the state board examinations where we had this opportunity to learn new stuff. Uh, what I think is a weakness of our profession is that uh, we don't have open discussion uh, on on controversial things on, you know, hey, th that doesn't make sense. Let's see what really is the best. And let's let's not put together a committee to talk about it for a decade. Uh, let's actually get it going and, uh, you know, upgrade our understanding of the human body and therefore upgrade what we're doing, uh, upgrade how we analyze our patients and upgrade how we treat our patients, um, which I don't see. Again, I had I actually had the privilege of talking to a, a group of uh, physical therapists and they kind of the same thing. We're kind of being taught this single plane, artificial, isolated way that the body works and when they realize it makes so much sense that that person just walked in the clinic and everything's moving at the same time in all three planes of motion, they're saying, wow, we're missing something. But as we now know, they're probably missing 99% of what they need to know. So I can't really answer for who's ever responsible for that. Uh, all, I, all I can tell you is that, you know, that's probably why we started our quote unquote our own thing, because we were not satisfied with how the kids were coming out of school, their inability to, you know, let's look at somebody with low back pain. And you guys, if I come in with low back pain, you're immediately going to look at my whole body. You're going to look at how my foot influences it, my knee, especially my hips and my thoracic spine and my shoulders, how I move, my flexibility, my mobility, and my stability. And you'll be able to put it together and you'll immediately say, you know what, we need to create an environment for a little more motion of your upper back to take some stress off your low back. And we got to get those hips a little more stable kind of side to side to take a little stress off that low back and you'll create an environment based on your understanding of how the human body really works. And as we know, as you know, that's not what we're being, that's not what we were taught 40 years ago. And I think the sad thing is not what we're being taught now. Now, obviously somebody from that group or that camp, if they're listening to this, they're going to almost go, you know, that's almost a uh, heresy that to talk like that. But I think we have to be open and honest and uh, I think we really have to say, you know, why in three days does a student uh, in your facility go, why, why wasn't I taught this? Uh, because it applies to everybody. Human movement is what, what we should be specialists in. We should know more about human movement as long as we go to school than anybody else in the world. We should be the experts in total body human movement. And as you guys know, you weren't coming out of school. And I know I wasn't. And as you even more, know more, you haven't had a student quite show up that can put it together yet. Uh, so that's kind of a, I would say, <laughs> a uh, 
hopefully a tactful way to say, I think uh, the whole system's got to be changed and there's got to be a yearly review of what we're teaching kids and a yearly review of the state board examination. We've had a lot of professors come to our courses, and, but they'll say, yeah, I believe this. This is what should be taught. This is how, this is what we should be. We should be experts in the total body human movement. We should understand biomechanics better than anybody else in the world. We should know how muscles really function, not how they just function on the table. We should know, you know, how it's all put together. We should know the three-dimensionality of it all, but I can't teach it because it's not on the state board. And I'm saying, that's a terrible reason, but I understand because if your kids are taught, imagine going through gift and then answering the state board questions based on what you now know the truth is you probably would get less than 10% correct. And uh, so there, the fear is, oh, my goodness, uh, I'll lose my job because the kids won't pay. Well, here's the problem. The test is wrong. And until somebody's willing to go through the test and say, we're missing it, uh, and then retroactively say, so what, what we have a, you guys know this better than I do, we have a saying, the test is the exercise and the exercise is the test. Well, the test is what we really want the kids to know and what we really want the kids to know should be reflected in the test. And that's where we have gaposis. That's that's not happening. Uh, so that would be my uh, hopefully tactful way to say uh, to answer that question. I think you did really good. Really good. Um, there's uh, a lot of things that I could go that that are coming to my mind. I can tell you that when I came out of school, I was I was angry because I got a I got exposed to AFS through my clinical instructors down at iMove, good friends, um, Rob and Isaacs and and Dave Van Andel and. So I was angry, but yet it also clicked in my mind. Um, I was angry at school, you know, because I felt like they didn't teach, they didn't teach us movement. Number one, there was no movement courses, which was unbelievable. And then when you look at the whole system, there's also no consistent language. It's like everybody is speaking a different language. You have all these different areas of these movement professionals that are talking about things and they might name the same exercise, 15 different things. And so it's like one speaking French and one is speaking English and one is speaking Spanish. And, you know, one of the things that I really appreciated about applied functional science is that you guys have, you guys have created your own nomenclature, your own way of communicating. And to me, it is one of the hardest things to teach our students and to, to have our clinic be on the same page, but yet it's there and, and it makes sense, you know? And so that, that definitely, I think will help all of us. But my third part here is that you know, I think it's not just physical therapists. It's the whole medical community. We're all focused on the part instead of the whole or the symptom instead of the dysfunction. So it's not just, I mean, doctors are, are the same. I mean, it's, it's, it's like everybody has horse blinders on and all they want to talk about is categorizing people and naming their symptoms. And yet none of that really matters at all. Yeah, it's obviously when you think about it, it's probably the simplest way to think. It's potentially the safest way to think, but it's probably the biggest fallacy out there. You know, if, if again, if we were robots and we had these, you know, joints that moved in one plane of motion and they only did one thing, uh, maybe we could scratch our head and just look at that place and try to deal with it. But uh, as you guys know, in your experience with the whole body being connected, it's 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 actually we're we're not doing our best for the patient when we just look at the place where they point where the pain is. Uh, because we now, our experience is in many areas of the body, uh, there's a 99% chance that where that pain is has absolutely nothing to do with the cause of the pain. And unless we have 
some ability to start uh, hypothesizing potentially where the pain might be coming from. And then even more importantly, have the ability to do a functional examination to, to reinforce our thought process. And then more importantly, have a functional way to actually take somebody through rehab to see if we're in the right spot, on the right direction. If we don't have that based on a solid nomenclature, that's probably the, the, the that might be the biggest laugh in the whole movement industry is that no one has ever come up with just a way to describe movement. And we say, we call ourselves movement specialists, but if I move and say, name that, uh, I'm sorry, I can't. So, you know, the nice thing that Doug did is developing the nomenclature was that it's not just our language. You actually took the language that's out there and made it consistent and put rules to it. That's what language is. Uh, and so anterior still means anterior and posterior still means posterior and up still means up and down still means down and lateral still means lateral and rotating. So you guys know the drill and what's almost, um, again, kind of embarrassing for a lot of us is that people go, yeah, I don't think I need to know that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm already doing pretty good as a therapist or as a physician or as a trainer or as a strength coach or as an athletic trainer. And boy, unless you know how to describe movement, it's going to be hard to assess movement. Unless you know how to assess movement, it's going to be hard to train movement. And if you're not training movement, we would probably ask you a tough question. Then what the heck are you training? You know, what What are you doing? Mm-hmm. This reminds me of a story I, or, or a comment I had from a physician uh, recently. And and he said, you know, I've, I've been told several times that I should uh, start to learn some of this stuff you're doing over there at Superior Physical Therapy, you're, you know, this applied functional science stuff. And, you know, you guys do great. I don't know why, but I've been told I should learn this stuff. And and uh, I really just don't see any reason why that would help me in my practice with my patients. And my response to him was, well, how many of your patients are coming in? And, he, and he's a physiatrist and he does injections. And so I said, how many of your patients are coming to you with pain while they move. <laughs> and, and he said, well, all of them. And I said, well, applied functional science is basically understanding movement. So how could it not help you with your patients? You know, and that, it's kind of a funny thought process when you really get into their minds a little bit. <laughs> yeah. The, the hard part, you know, professionals like yourselves, uh, are, we're, we're no different than any other human being. Some of us really care and want to go deep and are willing to go, maybe I don't know everything, and uh, ask the question, am I giving the best I can to my patient, uh, or I'm just, am I just playing the game and treating the symptom? Am I giving them some medicine? Am I injecting them? Am I throwing a hot pack, uh, ultrasonic massage on their back? And again, you know, we're all different, and some people are happy with that life. Some people think, okay, I can go home and look in the mirror, and I'm, I'm satisfied. You guys weren't. Uh, I certainly am not where I think the more we understand about human movement, which is a big, 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 big thing to try to learn, uh, the more we can understand how does movement affect that part. And then we can help their quality of life, get rid of their pain, enhance their movement, let them play, let them work, let them do what they need to do and, and enhance their quality of life. So, you know, it's kind of, and on one hand, we kind of say, I just can't understand it. That's because you guys are made out of a certain fabric. Uh, and some people listen to this podcast might already be turning off going, boy, it sounds a little too much like work. You know, I'm going to have to actually rethink some things. Uh, and yeah, it is. But, uh, you know, for that position, I would, you know, I think applied functional science should be taught to anybody that deals with anything that moves. <laughs> so it's, uh, if you're a physician and the person comes in and says, you know, I'd like to move better. And that's the number one reason people walk through the door of anything. You know, they don't come in and say, boy, I'd like to get rid of my knee pain, but I just want to sit here the rest of my life and not do anything. That just doesn't happen. So, 
Uh, we're biased, though. You guys, uh, you guys drink the Kool-Aid, and we, I think we have the same heart and spirit where we just want to do the best we can. And for those professionals out there who want to do that, they'll, pr- they'll pursue applied functional science. And for those who don't, they'll just kind of poo-poo it, or like I said, hopefully they've already turned the turn this podcast off. Sure, sure. sure. And, you know, I even asked a professor once, you, you talked about talking to faculty members and, and I asked him once, he had been to your course and I said, you know, why aren't, don't you think this should be taught in the curriculum? And he said, well, absolutely. And I said, well, why isn't it? What's your opinion on why? And he said, well, you, you know, the textbook, and we were just talking about muscle function and he said, it's hard enough for these students to learn the not, you know, the concentric action of a muscle imagine the textbook and how thick it would be on the functional approach to how muscles actually function. He goes, they have a hard enough time learning just the basics. That's so full of holes that, uh, <laughs> because why, well, I mean, yeah, it's hard to learn something that's not true. Uh, and, that's, <laughs> and it's easy to learn things that are true because you'll see it. Right. You know, so if you watch somebody walk, you ain't going to see the hamstring bend the knee, but that's what they're trying to teach them. They're thinking, oh, that's hard for us to teach the students. We teach muscle function to first graders in the free-to-play, and they learn the three-dimensional function of the hip flexor in less than five minutes. Right. So I would, I would really challenge that professor and say, well, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not, I, I, I'm not going to buy that one. Well, I certainly won't buy that one. My response was, well, aren't you in control of who gets accepted into the program? And maybe you should reconsider who you're accepting. <laughs> but, but also, I mean, you got to give people more credit. I mean, I think there's a lot of just really brilliant people that are, that are coming through our profession and, and giving them the opportunity. I mean, you got to give them a little credit, you know, so I hope some of those young new grads or students that are out there listening to this right now, you know, get involved and get onto the grains Two website and start learning some of the stuff now, because you're not going to learn it in school. And, um, it is a game changer. Well, and the, the truth is too, about movement, Gary, you hit it on the head. Movement is infinitely variable. So there's no way you can nail down movement, but you guys have, have done it with 3d maps. And so before it was like, okay, you're right. The, the the symptom is here, the dysfunction could be elsewhere, but how in the world am I going to get there in a, in a session with somebody or a plan of care? That That is, it's scary to me, right? Like that's, that's something that's scary. Like how, how am I going to get there? But what I've found with 3D maps, and I know a lot of people have found, is it, it gives you that confidence. It gives you that quick hitter assessment that says, okay, this is perfect opportunity to be able to see, okay, well, this person has knee pain, this person has back pain. Okay, well, this this assessment's going to show me at least one of the culprits of potentially where it could be coming from. And not only that, but where the person's already successful, how we can build on that in order to help their knee in order to help their low back. And so that's that assessment alone has made the waters a lot more clear as far as chasing after the dysfunction instead of simply following the pain. Yeah, it's, and it, it, what's what's sad about that is it took us forty years to to unmuddy the waters because I think a lot of when I look back what we've done at the Gray Institute because of our passion for understanding human function I think we've muddied the waters and we finally got to a point where I think we had um, learned enough and made enough mistakes and uh, came to an understanding that we realized there's this way that all 66 motions of the human body that really need to be looked at with everybody that walks through the door uh, could be looked at both their mobility and stability with just six movements to give us a head start. Uh, Certainly not an end all, but I I would challenge anybody anywhere to show a better movement scheme 
to give us a head start on how the body really works because we know it takes, like I say, all the vital joints through all the vital motions and in all three planes of motion, not only mobility but stability, not only the flexibility, the strength, and does it with just six basic movements. Uh, and immediately it's going to give us a big head start. And again, I love how you kind of added to that, Nick, not only where potentially we might see the problem but where their success is because that's where we're going to build upon uh, based on kind of our understanding of applied functional science. So we wish we would have come up with it 40 years ago because I don't think we'd be where we are now. I think we, you know, we'd be a lot further down the road because it's a tool people can start with and go, wow, this just makes sense. And wow, this is showing me what I probably need to know. But what it also does is it puts a little responsibility on. So if you take somebody through 3D maps and you see, you know, a little bit of uh uh, limitation in the frontal plane right hip and also you see that with mobility and stability yet they're complaining of uh, plantar fasciitis on that side you still have to have the biomechanical wherewithal to go okay when their foot enters into the ground with that hip not doing what it should do in the frontal plane what is it then doing to that subtalar joint what is it doing to the metarsal joint and what is it doing to that plantar fascia so there's also a uh, once I get through 3D maps, now there's a responsibility to say, what's it telling me? And can I justify my treatment to the lateral part of the right hip when I have a plantar fasciitis? And immediately when you begin to know function, you go, sure I can. Uh, but if you're from the old school, you're going to just lay somebody down and rub their heel and anaphoresis their heel and put a popsicle on their heel and <laughs> you know, tape their foot and you know have them scratch behind their ear, then that's going to be a hard concept for you to, to get your arms around. Well, you know, and I think, I think what you guys have done is, you know, in my mind, I think the waters needed to be muddy, you know, like movement. There's no way it can not be muddy. And the fact that you guys kind of trudged through the mud and, and kind of stirred some stuff up and figured, figured things out and then made it clear. I think that's the, the trend that, it, that it had to be. And, and I know kind of looking back, you, you know, obviously you, you have a desire to have introduced this earlier just for the fact of kind of getting, getting our profession on track and helping people. But, you know, in my mind, I think the waters have to be muddy. It's not as, it's not as simple as telling somebody to do a pelvic tilt and walk around in this kind of, this pelvic supposedly neutral position, you know, for the rest of their life, you know, the waters with movement are going to be muddy, but you guys have done a great job in kind of trying to clear that up. Yeah, actually, the, I think uh, the uh, biggest credit that we would probably take is that we surrounded ourselves with the Dave Tiberios of the world and the, the Nicks of the world and the Andrews of the world, knowing that we're on this lifetime journey to try to figure it out. And when people are, have the heart and spirit to just want to do their best and really understand this, you know, you get the guidance to say, let's, let's challenge that. Let's see. Maybe that's not the best way to do it. Maybe that doesn't make sense. Uh, maybe that's not exactly what's happening and, and have, have a, have a willingness to challenge the status quo or the conventional or the, you know, what's been out there for years. I had somebody, I was at a course a couple of weeks ago where they indicated that, um, you know, the reason they like this, uh, assessment is because they developed it over 20 years ago. And I just kind of smiled. And I said, wow, you know, I don't think I'm using anything that I did 20 years ago. I said, because, we were wrong. And I said, I, I hope we improve 20 years from now based on what we're doing now. So, um, you know, being able to hang out with you guys and being stimulated by your thought process and mostly your desire to want to do the best for your patients really has uh, been the game changer for us. 
you know, as we're starting to kind of wrap this up too, I want to know, and I think the listeners would benefit, you know, any, anytime somebody goes on a limb and as an innovator like yourself, you know, you're going to go through some adversity. And I know in your career, you've, you've gone through, I'm sure your fair share of adversity and people calling you crazy and, and whatnot. And, uh, I want to know, you know, for myself and for the, for the listeners and Andrew and, you know, what are some of the, the principles that you go by to, to keep from getting burned out when you, when you, when you face adversity and how do you stay motivated and encouraged to continue helping others? Well, there's an, there's an old saying that we've always heard years ago, uh, probably from our mom or dad and, and anytime somebody challenges you or hurts your feelings or maybe attacks you maybe directly or indirectly and, or basically cause you, like you say, cause you crazy, uh, or just, you know, just wants to take a whack at you. My mama would always say, Hey, uh, sweetie, consider the source. Um, and, uh, so in reality, I've really never had to experience any adversity at all over the 40 years of doing this, mostly because I've been surrounded by people like yourself, Nick and Andrew. I mean, you know, imagine my life getting getting to hang out with, you know, gift fellows and people who early on took chain reaction and being blessed with Dave Tiberio early on in my life and just be surrounded by the kind of people that I'm surrounded by. Now, they may be blow, blowing smoke up my butt and they might be, you know, trying to make me feel good. But and now if they came to me and said, you know, I don't think your heart's in the right spot. I think you're heading the wrong direction. I think what you're saying is stupid. I don't think you'd understand biomechanics of human body. I don't think you know anything about function. Now, if they said it, I, probably my feelings would get hurt. I, I would probably consider that a small form of adversity. But I've had no adversity in my life uh, relative to that, simply because I've always been around people uh, that I want to learn from who care just as much as I do about the responsibility I have when that person is in front of me to create the environment where literally I can encourage transformation of their body and transformation of their life. Big responsibility, huge responsibility. So, um, I've been blessed. I've been, uh, I've been probably baby too much. Uh, I've been probably, uh, coddled a little too much. Uh, but I probably wouldn't change it. And so when I kind of hear some of the things that they had out there again, I just kind of consider the source and, and uh, and try to appreciate where they're coming from and and try to, you know, hopefully uplift them because there's a reason why they either don't agree or want to cut somebody down or want to, you know, kind of poo poo something or. And so we just try to appreciate that. And uh, but then we kind of snuggle with our friends and put a big smile on our face and say, you know what, we know we're working our butts off to do the best we can. And let's just keep doing that. I love it. It's a good strategy. I love it. And I think everybody can benefit from that thought process. So Gary, when we wrap up the podcast here, we have three questions we like to ask everybody that comes on the show. So we're going to fire match you and hopefully you got some good responses. The first one is, uh, we want to know what your, your biggest failure has been. Ooh. You, so you guys are going to ask the tough questions now. Got huh? it. Okay. Uh -huh. So, so they, this is something you ask everybody. Oh, you know it. Now, granted, right. we usually give them a little bit of time to prepare, and I don't, I don't think we did that for you. So we threw, you, threw right at you. I do better when I don't prepare. Um, we figured. I, I would. I, I that that's uh, boy, that's whoa. I, you know, I think I have a number of them, and so to, to identify the biggest one, that might be the challenge. So, uh, but here's here's what I think is, and it's something I'm still struggling with. So it's kind of neat that you guys brought that up. I think my biggest failure is that. I never knew I was going to be blessed with so many friends 
And I don't believe I take as good care of my friends as I should. Uh, I wish I kind of wish somebody would have came to me a long time ago and said, Gary, you're going to be in a, a position where you're just going to be surrounded by some really cool people who are going to love on you and, and take care of you. And they're going to be actually considered friends. You'll, you'll look at them and you'll say to them, thank you for the blessing of your friendship. But then, Gary, with that comes responsibility. Uh, and then as I re- realize how many times I've left friends down, that that's I, I would consider that for me a failure. Uh, the sad news is I think I still fail. Uh, but some, when you uh, I like this question, because when you identify a failure, you can decide, do, do I want to take steps to try to correct it or do I just want to continue to fail, fall down the fall down the hill? So I would say um, the uh, my biggest failures have not been uh, able to um, take care of and respect my friendships. I like that's a pretty honest uh, answer. I would say that there's, you know, it makes me think of a book I just read talking about relationships. I mean, it's, it's hard. I think studies even show like to have more than 12 intimate relationships is really mentally difficult, you know? So uh, I can definitely relate to that. And uh, I hope someday to have as many friends, you know, and, and people that, uh, you know, that are around me as well. And so I appreciate that honest answer. So number two, question is how do you feed your mind body and spirit oh another tough <laughs> i like them though i think strangely enough it's the same answer uh i think i think it's to finally you know quit being such a sloth and being such a you know whiny wimpy person and uh take advantage of my friends and 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 be around them because i know when we're around my wife and my family and my friends, uh, I sense I sense a true feeding in my body, and certainly in my mind, and uh, of course I would say mostly of my spirit. So it, it's kind of interesting that my greatest failure might be what I'm trying to do more of in order to feed what I would call my three-dimensional self. I think you know, with that, you know, reading reading is important. Um, Talking with other people that you admire, just kind of getting their thoughts and ideas is important. I think quiet time is extremely important. Uh, yeah, I think trying to come up with a little bit of discipline to, you know, move our body. Uh, it's really hard to get up in front of a group of people and say movement's important and health and wellness is important if I kind of look a little, you know, dumpy. So I try to, I try to keep, keep a little tough, especially when Nick comes on the basketball court. You know, I can't handle him, but I at least got to be tough enough to grab his shorts. So he can't pull around me. So I think um, the way I the way I, I consciously feed my body is I seek to be with uh, you know the people I love. So with that, when is when is the uh, the gift reunion going to happen where we get eight hundred people together and uh, and feed our mind, body, and spirits together? That sounds like a really good strategy. It it actually be one of the coolest things in the world. Uh, we we've talked about that a lot and to find kind of a central place where. You know, people could come in and even bring, you know, bring their families and, you know, make it a little bit of, you know, academia, applied functional science kind of stuff, but mostly just being around each other and uh, just kind of reunion of it all. It'd be like the Woodstock of function. Uh, That'd be pretty awesome. The, you know, there'd probably be mud and, you know, kinds of a lot of us uh, kind of zooming around, hugging and stuff. So that'd be, that'd be kind of cool. Not kind of cool. I think that would be. 
I think that'd be the Gidget. Um, I've got a big smile on my face just thinking about it. Well, you can count us in. You know, we're there. You just let us know. Okay. All right. Third, third and final one here is what are you looking forward to in the next five years? Uh, oh, boy. You guys got some three quick hitters there, don't you? You know, uh, that's that's a neat one because I'll every once in a while I'll ask somebody that, then I sometimes figure that that, that you know, especially with me uh, getting old, uh, the five years aren't guaranteed. In fact, I think the neatest thing I'm looking forward to in the next five years is the fact that I might die. And that sounds kind of silly to you, I know. But the, the chances of me dying now are a lot greater than they were when I was 32. Uh, so now at 62, um, I'm looking forward to hopefully accomplishing some more stuff, but never knowing when that day of death is going to be. And uh, it sounds a little a little perverted, but I think you said, what am I looking for in the next five years that, that I may live? For those five years, or I may die sometime in those five years. So uh, I think that's that's believe it or not, that's what I'm looking forward to. Well, we look at we're looking forward to 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 following you and to being a part of your community and and uh, continuing to learn from you and whether it's new stuff or it's archives. I mean, there's always that's that's what I'm looking forward to. And, and I I hope uh, selfishly that uh, you know you're you're around and, and and we can continue to have a relationship. You know, because we you've you've affected us. Uh, you know, in ways I can't even find words to describe. So, all right, Gary. So kind of wrapping this up for our listeners, what we like to do is we, we like to get them engaged. Uh, we like to get them to, uh, to have something for listening today. And we ask the host, uh, to, to really give, I'm sorry, the guest to give a little bit of a taste uh, of what they're all about. And so you've got so much stuff that's out there and you, you really have something nice to offer everybody today. So why don't you real quick talk about that and then we can tell everybody how to get it. Well, again, I want to thank you guys for your time and uh, friendships, obviously, a two-way street. And I get your guys' newsletter and I get to follow you guys. And uh, I'm almost like a proud papa. You guys are just doing amazing and uh, you should be very proud of what you're doing. And I, I just uh, am in awe of what you all are doing up there, superior physical therapy. And uh, so I want to make sure you understand how much I appreciate you guys and how much I appreciate what you're doing. Again, like you said, if you just go to grayinstitute.com uh, and you want to spend 30 days there, we have, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of videos that you can plow around and start going, hmm. So that's kind of their thought process of applied functional science, and that's their thought process of how the body really works, and that's their thought process on prevention and performance and rehabilitation. And again, you can go to f2pacademy.com for free and uh, learn about applied functional science. You can learn the strategies. You can learn the nomenclature for free. Uh, we have hundreds of matrix plays, uh, just ways to encourage people, uplift people, and uh, really cool and inspirational stories. But uh, I think uh, the ability, I think, if somebody's kind of new to us, one of the easiest ways to really kind of get your foot in the water to see if you like it uh, is to start on 3D maps. Uh, because in 3D maps, we purposely designed it so we taught some applied functional science so we could discern what is functional and what's not functional. I think that's a big key for us as professionals to be able to discern for ourselves what's functional or not functional. And then they learn a little bit of the biomechanics of how we put it together and the power and the wisdom uh, and the beauty of 3D maps of the 66 motions that lead that. Uh, are revealed by the six movements. Uh, and so to be able to, uh, because of the thankfulness to you guys, to through you guys uh, offer a uh, discount code, you know, for 3D maps would be, I, I think, a pretty neat gift. And uh, if I was on the other side of this podcast, I think it'd be a non-intimidating way. Uh, I can get online, get certified myself in 10 hours. But really, 
you know, objectively look at is this is this applied functional science stuff a path that I want to take or not? And I think that'd be a neat way to do it. And we are just, I mean, super thankful for that gift. And, uh, you know, I would encourage everybody out there that's listening, you know, at least take them up on one of those offers, you know, the, the, the especially the, the free to play and the, just getting on the website and uh, we'll have a, we'll have a link here at the bottom of the show notes for the, the discount code for 3d maps and Gary, you know, just can't thank you enough for being here. And, um, we hope to have you on again in the future and, um, gosh, you know, you're just uh, an inspiration to all of us. Thanks a lot, well, Gary, man. We appreciate it. Andrew and Nick, you guys are an inspiration to so many as well. And I, uh, I'm just, like I said, I'm blessed to be your friend. And I, I appreciate you, you know, just taking the time to let us kind of share together. And, and hopefully uh, this is uh, somewhat uplifting and encouraging to your listeners. So thanks again for this uh, privilege. All right, Gary. Till next time. 